we're back into the Gospel of Mark, and maybe you're new to the community and you aren't aware that if you spent a few months in the fall looking at uh, the shortest story about Jesus, the Gospel of Mark, is this really action-packed story. Jesus is constantly going somewhere, doing something, and uh, there's just a lot happening in that book. And, and so I wanted to just catch us up a little bit as we dive back into the Gospel of Mark today. Uh, Jesus, he bursts on the scene in, in the Gospel of Mark with this huge announcement. He says, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And then he, he, he rockets out to the surrounding areas and villages and seas and mountainsides and wilderness, telling everyone what this means, showing everyone what this means. And lives are changing. You know, people who, are, who have been lame from birth are like running after Jesus. You know, men and women who have been oppressed by demons are free and are, are healed and are experiencing all that God wants for them. Crazy, unexpected God stuff has been happening in people's lives. It's like the Exodus all over again. And that's what people are feeling like. And story after story and change life after change life, we actually see, as we're looking at the Gospel of Mark, we see the kingdom of God led by the King Jesus in living color. That Jesus the King has come to make everything right. And he's bringing freedom and he's bringing healing to people who have, who have been in bondage and in sin in captivity so long, they've, they've forgotten what life even looks like. And as we watch Jesus work, as we are reading this story, as we're taking it in, we grow to trust him. Because we begin to see that everything he does is good. You know, every life he touches, he, he wants to bring his goodness to them, and he, and he does. And, and so we grow in our trust of him. And so today, we're going to dive back into this story of Mark. And as we do we're going to continue to grow in our understanding of who Jesus is. Remember, that's one of the big questions, especially the first half of Mark, is who is this guy? Who is this guy, and can I trust him? And we're going to continue in that, and and we're going to be having to decide whether we trust him, because as we do, things are going to start stepping up. The challenge of following Jesus is going to become more intense. You know, we're going to have to respond to this Jesus. We're going to have to respond to what he's saying. We're going to have to make decisions as to whether or not we're actually going to follow his teaching. We're going to have to actually decide if we're going to go where he's going. If we're going to follow him where he's leading us. And and what's cool about the story, Mark, is we get to see how other people are responding to him, right? Especially his closest followers, his disciples. we We get to watch how they react to Jesus. But then as we're watching how they react to Jesus... We kind of look in the mirror, right? And we go, oh, <laughs> what would you have done? You know, are you willing to do that? I mean, how would you have responded? What would you have said? What would you have thought? Am I willing to follow Jesus there in my life? Or are we as a, as a church community, are we willing to go where Jesus is going? Are we willing to do what Jesus is doing? Are, are we willing to act the way he's acting the challenge level is going to go up. So far, we've kind of seen action figure Jesus, you know, action film Jesus. And, and we've just seen him kicking demons out and, 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 and freeing captives and healing thousands of sick people and, and duking it out with religious bigots. And, and we, we've been seeing that he's been going around teaching, but, but we haven't been hearing exactly what he's been teaching. It's kind of like we've been watching this movie from a distance and we're never quite close enough to overhear Exactly what Jesus has been saying to people as he gathers them in close and teaches them about the kingdom of God. 
But today, this all changes. Right here in chapter 4 of the Gospel of Mark, where the camera kind of zooms in and the action slows down. And we get to sit at the feet of Jesus. And we get to hear him teach us about this kingdom of God that he's been demonstrating as he's healing people's lives. And what does Jesus do? He tells us a story. A story of a farmer and his seed. A story about receptivity and about the barriers that prevent us from receiving God's work into our lives. It's a story that we all need to hear. And it's a story that we need to hear in order that we can hear everything else that Jesus says and does. And so let's listen to this story that Jesus told as Al comes to read us from Mark uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 25. Once again, Jesus began teaching by the lake shore. A very large crowd soon gathered around him, so he got into a boat. Then he sat in the boat while all the people remained on the shore. He taught them by telling many stories in the form of parables, such as this one. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seed. As he scattered it across his field, some of the seed fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate it. Other seed fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seed sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plant soon withered under the hot sun. And since it didn't have deep roots, it died. Other seed fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants so they produced no grain. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they sprouted, grew, and produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even a 100 times as much as had been planted. Then he said, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Later, when Jesus was alone with the twelve disciples and with the others who were gathered around, they asked him what the parable meant. He replied, You're permitted to understand the secret of the kingdom of God. But I use parables for everything I say to outsiders so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. When they see what I do, they will learn nothing. When they hear what I say, they will not understand. Otherwise, they will turn to me and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, If you can't understand the meaning of this parable, How will you understand all the other parables? The farmer plants seed by taking God's word to others. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message, only to have Satan come at once and take it away. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell among the thorns represents others who hear God's word. But all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth, and the desire for other things. So no fruit is produced. And the seed that fell on good soil represents those who hear and accept God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as had been planted. Then Jesus asked them, would anyone, plant, would anyone light a lamp and then put it under a basket or under a bed? Of course not. A lamp is placed on a stand where it is 
light will shine. For everything that is hidden will eventually be brought into the open, and every secret that will be brought to light. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Then he added, pay close attention to what you hear. The closer you listen, the more understanding you will be given, and you will receive even more. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken from them. Thanks, Al. So that's a, that's a pretty familiar story, uh, for some of us at least. Uh, it's so familiar, in fact, that hearing it uh, this morning might actually be a challenge for you. You might be tempted to check out, even now. Kind of like, oh, I've heard that. I mean, how many messages or devotionals or sermons have you heard or read? Or maybe you've even been the one sharing it about this story. And, and you might be in danger right now of, of shutting down, of checking out, or at least checking the Facebook on your phone. You know, uh, because somehow it's old to you. And isn't it ironic? I think it's ironic that here's a parable about spiritual receptivity and that familiarity with it could make some of us hard and unresponsive when that's the point of the whole story. So I hope you're ready to hear it again, those of us who are pretty familiar with it. For others, this is a, this is a newer story, and it can seem kind of quaint and simple and has some interesting questions, and yet it's a story that offers a fresh perspective on you, on where you've been, on where you might be today, and on who you might become. And I'm glad you're here, and I hope this story challenges you to take that next step in your spiritual faith journey. The story is very simple, really. There's four types of soil, and only one really makes anything of the seed that's been planted. The rest all fail to produce the intended crop. There's hard, hard soil, shallow soil, weedy soil. That's no fruit, kind of the same result. And then there's good soil that experiences this amazing growth. And it's usually told, when we hear this story, it's usually told um, to represent different types of people, why some resist, why some don't continue in the faith, why some stop following Jesus, and why others move ahead. And that's great, that's applicable, that seems to be a lot of what Jesus was saying. It's also how most of us have really heard the story. But if you're anything like me, when you hear the story, you know that the condition of your soul, oh, soil, I mean soul, isn't always that simple, right? It's not like my entire life as a Jesus follower is this deeply fertile, responsive, abundantly producing field. Nor is it exclusively weedy or exclusively shallow or all hard-packed. In reality, our soul, the soil of our souls, can seem more like the landscapes right here in the Creston Valley. You know, jumbles of exposed crags or hardened clay or seams of bedrock that are running just underneath the pathetic covering of mountain soil, and we've all tried to grow something there, right? Or, or where there's enough dirt to grow anything, it's profuse with an abundance of invasive weeds, choking out everything else. And then, of course, there's these little patches, these squares here and there that have been, been tilled, and they've been weeded, and they've been watered, and they've been watched. And they, of course, are overproducing vegetables and fruit, as only this valley can do. When I look at my own life, I see this farmer story you know, up close and personal with, with my own life featuring sort of part hard-packed and part weedy and, and part shallow. And then, of course, there's parts of it that are abundant and are growing or fertile. And I wonder if you can identify with that. Or maybe, you, you, even though there is a bit of a mix, there's, there's one particular soil that you do identify more with. 
You know, maybe, maybe you hear the story of Jesus and you do feel like your soil is mostly shallow. That, that while you can remember times when you've been excited about your relationship with God, excited about your relationship with Jesus, it seems like it's often kind of dry. Or maybe it's withering. Or maybe it's kind of falling down and you're wondering what to do. Or, or maybe you've been a Christian for years, but you feel like you've never really been able to get any traction in your spiritual life. And sometimes, if you're honest, you feel like just giving up. Some of us, we, we have been experiencing change in our lives, and we're actually kind of surprised by it. And Because when we look back, some, some of us, not very many years, maybe even months, we, we look back at our lives and we remember, we can see, we can point out the times when we were really hard-packed, like really resistant. And, and how the seed, if you want to put it that way, or the voice of Jesus or the invitation of friends would just kind of bounce off us. And we weren't paying attention. But somewhere in our lives, maybe in the recent past, there was a turning point, and we might not even be sure what it was. Or maybe you're here today, and you've been part of the Erickson Covenant Church for, for years, and, 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 and you're following Jesus, but you find yourself often so distracted. Maybe obsessed with worry, maybe over, overcome with busyness, maybe focused so on your family or your career, so filled up with stuff that it seems like there just isn't a lot of space for God in your life. When you really take stock of things, when you really look in the mirror, when you really ask yourself the state of your soil, you realize that you don't want to be this way. You actually want to be that good soil. And you want to see the areas of your life that are fertile expand. You you want to become more spiritually receptive to Jesus. You want to grow as a person. You want to grow in your faith. You want to get in on that new life that Jesus promises. You want to be that nutrient-rich, fertile soil, even if it seems like your garden is going to need a lot of work to get there. So what do we do? Is there a way to increase our spiritual receptivity, to grow our responsiveness to Jesus in a way that amends our soil and makes our lives more fruitful, more abundant, more filled with life? Yeah, I think there is. And I think that this story that Jesus is telling leads us right to it. So let's get into the story by asking the question, what endangers spiritual receptivity? What prevents us from hearing God's word to us and responding to the call of Jesus to follow him? What what stops God's word and his work from getting traction in our lives and making the changes that are needed for producing that growth and that life that we really do desire? Jesus' farmer story gives us some clues. He, he starts off his story and then peppered throughout the entire thing we heard Al read. There's this call for us to listen, hear, pay attention to what you're hearing. Anyone who has ears to hear, let them hear, let them understand, listen. But that's the problem, isn't it? We know we need to listen, but we often have trouble hearing. We have low receptivity. We, we get a bit fuzzy and confused and And the things that we're hearing, we're not sure what to do, or sometimes we aren't even hearing anything at all. And as these disciples get in close to Jesus, they ask him to explain the story, which he does. And it's here that Jesus begins to help us understand our receptivity problem and what can be done about it. So Jesus starts off this way. He says, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? So it's a key what we do with this, how we respond to this teaching, this initial teaching of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark is really important for everything else that happens. Then he gets into it. The farmer 
sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. The first problem to spiritual receptivity is that we have an enemy who seeks to destroy God's work in us. Hard, hard roads, hard soil, plus nasty birds equals snatched away. The hard-packed soil is unreceptive to the seed as it's scattered. And before there's any opportunity for it to take root, the seed is snatched away. The work that God wants to do in each person's life is destroyed by Satan, that enemy of life and goodness. And is there any solution for this? You know, we all know people who are hard and resistant to any God talk, any suggestion about Jesus, any, any offer to pray for them. And it could be your own family. It could be your wife. It could be your, your husband. It could be your kids or extended family or a dear friend of yours. We know those people. We try to mention Jesus or we, we try to even bring up a spiritual conversation of some kind and we just get shut down hard. The best thing we can do really is to love them. And to continue to be in friendship and in relationship with them. Because they aren't ready. The soil is hard. We need to pray for them, but we can't really push. Some of us know exactly what it's like because not too long ago we were there. We can look back. We can remember exactly the time when we were so close. That's where where that surprise comes from. That we're even sitting here this morning, right? I know, some of you are surprised. Uh, We might even be able to identify areas in our lives that are still resistant. Every one of us can do that. What we hear in this is that hard-packed hearts are easy pickings for the enemy. God's invitation to life, which is constantly going out to people, just bounces off and it's snatched away. This fall, when I tossed out some rye in my garden, thinking it would grow up this spring, I was mobbed by chickens, who I think have cleaned the rye out of the garden. So I'm pretty sure this spring, very little fruit will come from that garden rye because of my chickens. And it'll live in the illustration of that. So what's the solution? You know, what, do we, what do we do with the hard soil? Well, the hard soil really needs a plow, right? That's what's needed. And it needs to be ripped up. It needs to be turned over. We need that plow to break the crust. And, and, and here it is, to create the possibility that the seed could somehow get down in deep and germinate as it was intended. But as you can imagine, plowing is not something we always sign up for, is it? Plowing is not something that we willingly choose. And in fact, when the soil is hard, it's something we're not usually even aware of. But rather, this deep breaking, this plowing that has to happen is often something that happens to us. Something deeply painful and deeply traumatic. You know, we were were hard-packed, resistant, unable to receive or hear or accept the call of Jesus. And then there was a devastating loss. Then there was... Someone we love that died. There was a loss of the job or maybe a a marriage that failed or or our health went. Or maybe there was an accident or we made some huge mistake or somewhere along the way we lost our identity or addictions overwhelmed us or our self-worth was crushed. What we thought was solid in life suddenly evaporated. What we thought was true was exposed as a lie and we were broken up. The plow went in deep and we we were really hurting. But suddenly, surprisingly, the seed that had been previously snatched away was able to get in. And and, and we began to hear God calling us to life, calling us to follow Him. We might not have even known really what it was. You know, it was unfamiliar, but there was something compelling about it. There There was something or there was someone stirring in us. And 
And maybe we started to read that dusty Bible or we started asking some important questions. We, we lo and behold, started coming to church with friends. Again, surprised by that. Uh, founding ourselves welcome. We started praying. And, and, and some of us even found ourselves growing in a relationship with Jesus and finding out who he is, even if we didn't know exactly yet what that meant. And some of us here, some of us in our community have exactly that story to tell. That we could not have heard Jesus calling us if it had not been for some terrible event, some difficult time. And some of us are here right now, today, because of something that's happened. Something happened and it broke up the hardness of your soil, if you want to put it that way. And you're here and you're listening, maybe for the first time, you're hearing Jesus speak to you directly. Words that have previously just bounced off your heart somehow are making their way into your life. And then some of us, we know that there's still areas in our lives where we are resistant, where there's hardness. and Maybe it's a particular area. And we know, actually, we know that what needs to happen is that God's seed, as it were, needs to get in and begin to make that real change in our lives. But we are resistant. And in, our, in the process of resisting, the enemy snatches that away and we don't even think about it anymore. See how the hard-packed dirt and the work of the enemy go hand in hand? You and I have an enemy. Sometimes we don't think about that. Sometimes we aren't aware of that. But we have an enemy who seeks to destroy the work that God wants to do in our lives, in our families, in our kids' lives, in your heart. He wants to destroy it, and and yet this is what God wants to do. And, And so we need that plow to break up our soil. We need to acknowledge that we have an enemy to fight. And maybe, maybe the hard soil that you're thinking of today, maybe it isn't so much your soil. Maybe it's, maybe it's your family. Maybe it's, maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's someone in your life that you realize is, is hard. And I want to encourage you that we can actually fight the enemy. We can pray against the work of Satan in the name of Jesus. And we can, we can, we can fight that for real. But do you know the greatest way we can fight the work of the enemy is by letting God's word in. So whether it's your own life or whether it's the life of your family as you pray for them, the number one way that we can destroy the work of the enemy is to let God's word in and let it do its work in us. And if we do that, the enemy doesn't stand a chance. The enemy's power is founded on lies, and the truth of God's word drives it out. God's word is our greatest weapon against the enemy. So if you want to fight the devil in your own life, in your family's life, you let God's word deep into your life. You take in this Jesus story. You begin to memorize a scripture. You, you join a Bible study group. You start doing what you're hearing, and the devil, I promise you, he doesn't stand a chance. So that's the first problem, the, the hard soil. We have an enemy who's out to destroy us. But Jesus goes on. He says, Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The second problem to spiritual receptivity is that we get discouraged when troubles come from following Jesus. You know, we heard the story of Jesus. We were intrigued. Uh, we started to follow and life was good. You know, good things are happening. We feel like we're finally getting a grip on what life's all about. We're coming to understand God's love for us. We're being accepted. We're being loved. And, and, and then before we know it, Jesus, he does the same thing with the disciples. He starts to lead us into uncomfortable places, you know? And you think, what? Why is he taking us there? He starts stretching us in painful ways. He, he starts calling us to love people that, let's be honest, we don't want to love. 
He calls us to be with people that we'd rather ignore. He, he calls us to give up on things that we've grown very dependent upon. We start taking Jesus seriously, and others around us start resisting that. Maybe a brother or a sister, someone we love, or mother or father think we've gone nuts. Or, or we start making right decisions, you know, Jesus-style decisions about our sexuality, or about our finances, about our health, and, and then things don't work out the way. They don't just go better. They, in fact, sometimes they get worse, and Jesus starts to ask us to get help with our addictions, or to end a relationship, or to reconcile with a friend, and the waters of life can get very, very rough. And this can be very upsetting, unexpected, in fact, because some of us actually thought Jesus, following Jesus, was supposed to make life easier, right? And, and I, don't, I don't think Christians have intentionally sold people down the river, but sometimes Christians have presented following Jesus in that way. And you may have heard that, and, and you may have thought that, what, good things are supposed to happen now that I'm following Jesus, and bad things aren't supposed to happen anymore. I want you to hear this very carefully. Following Jesus is the most life-giving, radically purposeful, joy-filled way of life there is. And it's incredibly difficult. Anyone concur with that? Yeah. Incredibly difficult. Following Jesus means dying to yourself. It means taking up your cross and following him on a road that leads where? To death. It's not fun. It wasn't fun for Jesus either. It's sacrificial and it's painful and hard. Yes, there's joy along the way. And there is resurrection in the end. But there are rough times ahead as we follow Jesus. And we've all known people who've given up their faith because it was just too tough to keep going. The cross that Jesus asked us to carry wasn't what they bargained for and they just opted out of the plan altogether. So what about us? What about you and I? I mean, haven't we felt that way at times? Felt, felt like, you know, what's the point? Maybe you're here today right now and you still come to church at least once in a while. You, you mouth the odd prayer. You, you still kind of somewhere residually, you still believe in Jesus, believe in the Bible. But really, when you take a look at your life, when you're really honest about it, you know that the roots of your faith in Jesus are not very deep at all. Jesus helps us identify that, that part of our spiritual reception problem is that we have shallow roots. We never really grew down deep into this relationship with God in Christ. We, we never let Jesus do a deep, transformative work in our hearts. And as a result, we don't really have the nutrients. We don't, we don't have what it takes. Our, our roots don't go down deep enough to sustain us during times of difficulty. And that's the problem with some forms of evangelical microwave conversions, where you just kind of quickly say a prayer, confess your sins, affirm a few the- theological points, maybe even get baptized, but then that's kind of it. And it's, it's, it's viewed in a way that's too surfacey. It doesn't get down to the deep. Oh, we're told to read our Bible and go to church, but we often aren't given anything that goes beyond that. And you and I both know that often our roots of faith don't run very deep as a result. They don't hold us very strong. Your con- conversion to Jesus didn't go deep enough, didn't go to the bottom of things. And though you may look leafy and green and be able to sort of do all the right things and say all the right things on the outside, you know that all it would take would be one good windstorm and you'd be over. You need roots if you're going to survive and flourish. You need these roots of God's work to penetrate our soul and, and set themselves at the very core of who we are. We need God's work to penetrate right down into our identity, right down into our sexuality, right to our worldview and how we see life, right right to our priorities and our thinking and our habits and our self-worth. So if our roots are shallow, what's the solution? 
Well, it's actually more plowing. Ouch. But this is the kind we can, a little more active choice in. We need, we need some cultivation. We need to increase the depth of our soil so that the roots can go down deeper. And how do we do that? How do we increase the depth of our soul or our soil so these roots of Jesus can go down deep? Well, I, I think there's two ways. It's kind of building on what's already been said. But the first one is that we need to actually put the teaching of Jesus into action. This listening that Jesus is talking about all through this parable and all through the scripture isn't just letting it come into our ears. It has an action where we put the teaching of Jesus into our lives, into action. We, we, we give it feet. We move with it. That, see, when we look at the parable closely, we realize that the word hears is present for every one of the soils. The hard soil, the shallow soil, and onto the other soil. They all hear it, but only one does something with it. Is because this hearing that Jesus is looking for, this listening that he's calling us to, has an action to it, where we take God's word and we live it out. So we need to put the teaching of Jesus into action. We need to seek the reconciliation that needs to be sought. We need to forgive those who need to be forgiven. We need to, you know, finally make that decision to stop that thing that's been killing us or wrecking our family. We need to reprioritize things. We actually put the word of Jesus into action. But we don't do it alone. And this, I think, is crucial when we think about the roots going down deep. That we need to find a group of people who are going to actually do this putting Jesus' words into action thing together with you. I'm actually convinced that our roots won't go deep without it. So the real point here is finding community, but it's that active kind of taking God's word, putting it into action together with a group of people, a small group of people who says, let's do this thing. Let's actually follow Jesus together. So I want to challenge you to do that. Don't just sit at home and read your Bible. That's great. That's a start. That's important. But that's setting the bar really low. You need to gather with a group of people regularly and begin to study this thing out. You need to chase after someone around here who's further along than you spiritually and say, lead us in a Bible study. And if they kind of cringe and, and aren't too sure, that's just God's plowing going on in their lives. And you just push harder. Yeah. Start a discussion about the Gospel of Mark together. You know, get some resources together and go after it and be asking, how do we live this out? What do we do? How do we do this as a community? How do we do this as a church? If we do that, I believe we'll increase the depth of our soil and the roots will go down deeper.